Alright, what's good everybody? It's uh, Sean here. It's uh, mid-afternoon on Wednesday, July 8th. I just got off the pod decks with uh, Nicola May Goldberg. Um, I never said that middle name out loud. I think it's May. Sorry, it's not. But um, yeah, she just put out this book, uh, Nothing Can Hurt You, from Bloomsbury last month. And uh, the way the way I got connected to Nicola's writing is uh, I got asked to do this uh, to talk briefly at um, at her like powerhouse Zoom uh, Zoom announcement for the book. Um, so I, so uh, publisher sent the the advanced copy and I read that in like a weekend. Read it over in the weekend prior to that uh, that event last couple Tuesdays ago and um, ended up just kind of having a whole lot of questions and just just I, I it's just a very it's a it's super it's a super propulsive read um, she's I think all her work we get into is a lot to do with uh, sexual violence just violence in general um, nothing can hurt you is basically um, about a uh, dude in college who who uh, murdered his girlfriend who slit her throat and um, how the book functions is pretty much 12 chapters and each is a little vignette from a person um, somehow related to the crime uh, and yeah it's just on some level I feel like that's the most essential question that you know that we're asking in books like why this stuff happens talk a lot about Bologna on the pod and like that's kind of his essential question Um, and obviously uh, continually trying to find uh, new ways of looking at it and um, not oversimplifying it a lot of times we get faced with difficult things it's hard to look at you want to just come up with a simple answer um that I hopefully, that ideally would uh, excuse you of from any. What am I fucking saying? That would uh, kind of, you know, that's not something that's happened to me. That doesn't apply to me. You know, try to find some way to to, to deal with it, um, which is totally understandable. But I think a lot of the, you know, I, so I felt like this was very much in that tradition, um, really trying to look at. The difficult questions of why that happens and why it, it has happened and you know continues to happen. So um, nah, and just on a formal level, um, I just really fuck with the book and I wanted to talk about it. And she was uh, nice enough to sit down and talk to me about about it. So um, yeah, I'm psyched to share this. We get into um, yeah all that stuff, all that good stuff. All right of divorce and it just knows like the exact moments to act up in order to get attention oh man i was <laughs> it's like a child of divorce i was yeah that was that was spooky when it popped it dropped out on the powerhouse thing yeah luckily my, back- my sister was there so she lent me her laptop and she oh, nice. got a kick out of it saying her name um during oh, um, yeah, how are you doing? You in uh, California or? No, um, I'm upstate at uh, my family's house. Oh, nice. Yeah. Have you have you been out of the city for? Um, I've been in the... and out. Yeah. Nice. Um, um, I yeah, felt like I appreciate. I, Go ahead. I felt like I should point out um, uh, during my reading that this like completely empty bookshelf behind me does not belong to me. I do read books. oh man i haven't been yeah have you been uh able to how's it been since the since the book has been out have you had good like feedback and stuff yeah yeah um it's a little surreal to see pictures of it like in bookstores in england where i'm like oh amazing nice to have things be reopening because you don't live in a country full of fucking idiots like lucky you guys um and um yeah 
it's just, it's a little surreal. Um, my, my first book, uh, the novella that I published with Sad Spell came out right after Trump was elected. And I was just like, oh, wow. fuck, like, no one's going to read this book about my feelings anymore. <laughs> like, no, no one could possibly care. Um, and it, it did feel very weird and um, almost perverse to put that particular book out into the world at that time. But um, you're picking the most fraught times to drop the books. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe Give it to the people when they need it. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's me. Um, I've actually like occasionally worried that I accidentally manifested coronavirus because oh, of my social anxiety and how much I hate leaving my apartment. And now I don't have to. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. And if I, I mean, do, that's... I can like cover my face completely. So, right. um, yeah, yeah, sorry about that. No, yeah, your last one that was, uh, was that, uh, I was trying to find some of the, I was trying to go full full podcast research but, but I couldn't find that that book yeah. um but that was a novella you put out mm -hmm. in 2016 yeah. it's, out, it's out of print now um I have the rights back and hopefully it, we're going to republish it um it's just a question of sort of when and where um and yeah. there being and sort of what level of interest there is but I'd like to put it back cool. out in the world as soon as I can nice yeah, um, so that's wild. So they're, they're, the bookstores are open in England and places. Um, I guess so. Or yeah. maybe some people who work there. I don't know exactly what's happening. Gotcha. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah, well, so we talked briefly, I think it was two Tuesdays ago. Kind of, you can't even really say we talked briefly. I just interjected into your powerhouse <laughs> Zoom, Zoom hang um, through Rebecca Godfrey. Um, and uh, I think I, I didn't really know what that situation was going to be like. I, I wasn't sure if it was going to be like, uh, I just had no idea. So I, I think I like over-prepared and then it made me more convoluted. I thought I was going to be like on the panel as like the male perspective yeah, or something. So I had all these. <laughs> yeah, I think what Rebecca had in mind isn't really supported by like how Zoom works. Um, yeah, exactly. But God bless her. She was trying to make sure that like it was as substantial an event as possible given the circumstances she Absolutely. really is an angel on earth um and so i think the idea would was that she was going to like call on you and right be as if like in a no absolutely would, like stood up and said something right where, right right whereas in the zoom setting it it didn't translate quite as well but i still appreciate you participating because um, it would have been a very weird, boring, um, the whole thing was weird, but it could have been a, a, a lot worse. It's a, it's a wild, it's a wild forum and a new forum. I know there's a, I think, yeah, it's, I think that's becoming like a standard thing as people put out books during this time, but, yeah. um, I guess it's kind of fruitless to talk about that too much because I don't think anyone really knows what's going on. I mean, um, I honestly hate it. Like, I really hate Zoom. I mean, I it's not so bad one-on-one, -on -one, but like yeah. I, previously to this, I had like a group therapy thing that I went to. And then when we okay. started doing it on Zoom, I was like, I can't do this. It's just yeah. too stressful. Like, I, like I, I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm, yeah. like, I feel my heart rate just like, accelerating I, I just I couldn't do it I wasn't sure which what I should do for this either because sometimes I'm on zoom I just I just thinking about how my face looks weird the whole time yeah I but, actually um, have to um hide my face otherwise it makes me insane oh yeah that's wild um I should do that right. <laughs> um but um yeah I guess I know I really I really liked reading the book in one go, like I did, um, I guess to maybe to like jump off, I wanted to, I was looking at some of your older poems and it, mm -hmm. it feels like you've been like investigating a lot of this stuff. I also, so you, did you primarily do poetry? I, it felt, I, I, no. you didn't, but you just posted a lot of poems. Cause I felt like 
the precision of the writing, like it made me think about how sometimes when people start with short and then go up, it's um, way sharper, like in I like Maggie think, Nelson kind of way or something. So, someone, I think Faulkner maybe said that like, um, all novelists are failed poets. Right. Which is de- which is in my case is absolutely true. Um, I I love poetry. I probably read more poetry than anything else. I try. Um, this is like the one smart thing to do. But there's this web that I do. Um, there's this website called versedaily.org, and they publish a new poem every day by a contemporary poet. And it's my Maybe. homepage. So. So it's the first thing I do every day before I like check my email or social media or whatever. I read a poem, nice. um, and it, it like it's completely safe for me. I'd be totally like batshit insane if I did not do that. Yeah. Um, I love poetry. I wish I could write more of it, but I um, and I did. I think make some breakthrough in my ability to write poetry after I left college. Um, the sort of consensus among my professors when I was in undergrad was that I was just stronger in fiction than in poetry by a pretty wide margin. Um, and I was like, okay, I agree with you, but I want to keep studying poetry because I think it makes my fiction stronger, which I still yeah. um, And I did start writing some better poems after I graduated. But even then, um, poetry for me has often felt felt like something that happens to me. Um, and that I can, all I can really do is just stay open to it. Um, whereas fiction is something I can actually work at. Yeah. And, um, and fiction is a much more logical conclusion of just my sort of normal thinking. So, um, yeah, I have a great love and respect for poetry, but I, I would not consider myself a poet. Yeah, well, I mean, even just the appreciation for it and the, and, or just the sense of it. I mean, I've also just read like seven poems that you posted probably 2015, 2016. Um, but I felt like just a structure of it. So it's all, I think that that mode you're doing when you're changing the POV every chapter around one event, um, like kind of in a goon squatty way, like, um, yeah, I've tried the, I've, I've, I think in early attempts, like I, or even, yeah, I just read, um, yeah. So let's just say in that, I feel like it takes discipline to do that because every chapter is peripherally related to the event, um, of, of, of Blake, uh, a person in college murdering his girlfriend and slitting her throat. And then it's also every, within each chapter, there's some, I feel like there's some kind of story that's exploring a facet of, mm-hmm. um, what would you say the central thing is exploring? Um, violence, I think. Violence, yeah, violence, yeah. And oftentimes, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and I think, I think when I would try to do early attempts like that, things would just spiral out. And then I, so now like lately I've just been sticking to just doing like, um, like the most confined, like myopic first person. So I really liked how, and I, but I, what I was going to say is I think the way it flows so well is the discipline to be aware of um, what you're focusing on, like what your bigger question is. Um, but did you, did you handwrite it through a lot? Why are you laughing? I'm, I'm laughing because I, just, I really, I'm really not a disciplined person at all. Okay. And something that really drove the changes in perspective and the sort of kaleidoscopic way the yeah. book works, which I think, which I'm quite proud of, and I think is sort of what makes the book what it is, is just that I wouldn't get bored. It's just so you wouldn't get bored? That, that if I right. stayed with one character in one perspective right. for too long, I would just stop writing. Right. Um, so it was a way of like tricking myself into keep writing the same book. Um, and the ability to focus on, on one theme is really just a function of my own obsession. Um, yeah. My own um, 
inability to stop thinking about something once I've started. So um, I, I don't know. I, it, I guess it's just, I, I'm glad that it worked, but it definitely was not the result of discipline. Um, uh, so you'll like edit out like terrible rambling, right? Yeah, I can, I can, I can edit it however you want to, but I don't think you've done any terrible rambling yet. Okay, just, <laughs> just know that if I do, I can be redeemed. For sure. No. Um, yeah. Had, um, when did you start thinking about that a lot? I started thinking about the, the violence question. Yeah, would it be, or yeah, or, or just, would it be like sexual violence, do you feel like? Or would it not just be that? Yes. That, and yeah. um, there is a story that was originally the, the first chapter um, of Nothing Can Hurt You that I ended up cutting after like much debate and mm. much, um, I want to say pearl clutching, but like a little bit of pearl clutching. <laughs> um, yeah. And a lot of discussion between myself and my agent and my editor and various readers I trusted um, and eventually decided to cut it. But that was the first story I had written and it's going to be published soon-ish um, on Joyland. Nice. And so I guess you can think of it as kind of like a hidden track. Yeah. Uh, on a sort of seminal too, or because it was the first or not the first oh, yes. I'm definitely sentimental about it. Um, it's probably the most graphic story hmm. um, that I wrote um, and was a big part of a big part of sort of recognizing that I wasn't going to be able to do what I wanted to do in the book if I emotionally exhausted my reader hmm. was um, was cutting that story um but i also wanted it to exist in the world and i wanted it to be available to readers who were interested so having it published separately is actually kind of a perfect um a, a, i think a perfect solution so yeah. um if readers are drawn to learn more about um I don't know. For sure. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I guess my, when I was asking the question, what I liked the most about the book was how it just complicated a lot of ideas I've had about, I mm -hmm. think oftentimes when we're faced with stories like this, like I wrote my undergrad thesis on 2666, the Bologna book. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that? Like, I mean, it's like, it's like the difference in that case, it's a similar thing you're doing where you focus on um, the journalist. Um, that's very flattering. <laughs> Sorry? I said that's very flattering to be compared no. to Bologna. No, but I mean, you're doing the same, every part of the, um, the kind of infrastructure of a case is, is being looked at. Uh, even the police, policeman at the end, um, you know, the victim's friend, uh, all, the friend of the perpetrator, all this kind of stuff. And then the difference in that story is there's all these femicides from 93 to 97, like 350 raped and uh, murdered women around the desert. And there's no suspects the whole time. Mm -hmm. So it kind of turns into this like crushing thing where it's like, we're all on some geopolitical level perpetrators. Of this. But this is obviously a different thing because right off the bat, there is a suspect. I mean, there is a, a, a clear murderer. Um, but um, I think when I used to read, even when I was writing that, a lot of, it was 2013. And like the undergrad I went to was like one of the first like Title IX schools, Title IX complete schools. So there's all this stuff going on on campus. And I was sort of like looking at everything on this on an equal playing field, like whatever I was reading about in Bolaño and like what was happening on college campuses and stuff. And I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like, I guess maybe I was trying to communicate this when I said this in the question was just like, there's just really simplistic ways, especially, I don't know, I can only speak for myself, like especially dudes can kind of read this stuff and be like, oh, like kind of have a queasy feeling, but just feel like a little bit like just outside of that domain completely. And I feel like there was the way you were talking about, I know I felt like you were complicating a lot of those things, the way you were, where it's like, I don't know, there was, 
little jabs at like certain kinds of masculinity. There's a lot of dog stuff. I was reading all the dog stuff as like metaphors for like, you know, like she wants a protective dog who will make her feel like she can walk through the world. Like, or this is what a guy feels like to be a guy. Or another time there's a dog, he keeps spazzing out on people and they're like, he might be a lost cause, but we're still trying to train him. You know, like yeah. it was simultaneously being like, men are like these feral things that have to be trained, but then also like to just bypass the whole challenge of trying to be like a father or something or like a protective type of masculinity. Um, you were also critiquing that, I felt like. Maybe I was reading that into it. No, absolutely. Um, I, I do think it's fair to read the book as a critique of masculinity though I would point out quite a few characters who are, to me, sort of complicit in male violence. Yeah. Though they are not men. Um, uh, I, the character of, I've forgotten a lot of their names. Lizzie? Tr Tracy? Tracy? Yeah, the... Um, I was just going through the name. Tracy's the... The, uh, the prosecutor? Uh, sister is Erin. She has some crazy bar... She has some crazy lines about Erin that were yeah. shook me to my core. Yeah. Right? Honestly, that's the chapter that's, I think, the most important. Sorry? To me, that's the... It's the most important chapter. Th those chap... Oh, that's the most important chapter? Yeah. Because of that... That... Entered that... That... Um, that perspective? Yes. Um, it's the closest to sort of the perspective of the state that right. we get, um, because like the police dude, um, in one of the sort of final chapters, he's, he's a nobody. He's, he doesn't really wield any actual power. Um, and there's, I think the combination of rage on behalf of her sister and then the rage at her sister. Right, um, right. for me makes her a pretty frightening person and a pretty frightening person to be in power. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. The fact that she's in that position. Yes. With that perspective. Um, yeah. Um, and she is based on quite a few women I have met who, um, who are in positions of power with regards to adjudicating um, uh, violent cases, whether that's um, uh, through Title IX or um, through the legal system, uh, where there is a, a certain coldness towards other women that is very weird to observe. And I think, um, I, and I think it connects to the chapter, the journalist, and she's talking to her mother and trying to um, get people to care about certain victims that they don't care about. And um, just the, the Sisyphean task of doing that. Right. Um, uh, It is all connected. Um, I mean, I could, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I lost my train of You're thought. good, you're good. No, um, I'm trying to be better at letting people talk and listening and not rambling. So I'm being more quiet. But um, the part that, uh, can I read that, that part or the part that, uh, the part that from Tracy's part, okay, well, first of all, I want to say, I think what, uh, that's an example of how I think this book felt really unflinching and looking at all the sides because you didn't really hold your, hold anybody's hand through that reading. Like that character just has that thought and then you just keep moving and you're left to deal with it. And it's not really like sign pointed, pointed, like what you're supposed to think about it. Um, but she just had, so her sister has, so she's on the case. Um, but then Tracy is, but then her sister was raped by a group of boys, right? 
and then several years prior several years prior and then she says you know things happen to things happen to other people fucked up shit happens all the time but at least like they're still functional like they haven't forfeited their lives to fate the way Erin her sister has says maybe Erin would have turned out like this anyway even she if she even had even if she had never met any of those boys, maybe she's exactly who she was meant to be. This idea of like being there. Can you hear Sorry? me? Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. You can hear me. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was so that was that so kind of what you're talking I got about? the idea of being and then Oh. Um Oh, the, the idea of being faded into a position, mm -hmm. like outside of things that have been happening. Was... Yeah. I, yeah. Um, she, Aaron is a very, very important character to me and maybe the most, in most important character in the book because I think that there are sort of two dominant cultural narratives we see regarding yeah. um, women who have been raped. We have almost no dominant cultural narratives about um, men who have been raped, um, despite that being pretty statistically common. Um, yeah. And one is basically raped and murdered. Um, it, she is a woman who is, if not actually murdered, she is, um, uh, you know, emotionally decimated. She can never participate in life normally. She's traumatized forever. She's, um, her life is gone etc and the other is kind of this like girl boss thing of mm. triumph and success and it made me stronger and it made me who i am and the perpetrator has been punished appropriately and we can go i'll go mo move on with my like book tour um yeah and neither of those narratives i think are are really realistic, nor do I, I think they serve victims of sexual violence. Um, right. I think, and so, um, and I think the like girl boss one is the one I keep seeing all the fucking time. For sure. Um, and I recognize that there's power in that, especially because if I compare it to what I was seeing even 10 years ago, it's very, very different. The idea that a woman could continue to have a life after being raped is, a, is actually like a pretty new one. Um, it, it is, um, but there's um, the sort of immediate um, commodification of Me Too was pretty depressing to me. Right. Um, the, the immediate like um, desire to package and sell sexual trauma um, at, as yeah. yet as yet another like I don't know fucking I'm with her T-shirt or whatever right um, right so and especially in a country that does not provide universal health care, a country that does not have a justice system that is equipped to deal with sexual violence and a, and a justice system that actually uses sexual violence as punishment pretty um, regularly and to very few people's concern. Like- You're talking about the, the rate of prison, rape in prison? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. My, no one ever my, talks about that. My sort of, my overarching response to that sort of cultural image of the rape survivors like fuck that that's right. not who is that possible for who right. gets right. to be there and I really wanted to suggest to my readers that when that sometimes it really just fucks you up and sometimes you really don't ever recover and it's not because a person is weak or undeserving or because right. that's their fate or whatever. It's because their community did not do a good enough job and they were not given the resources they needed in order to 
recover. Um, right. Um, in Erin's case, particularly that her perpetrators were uh, were not held responsible at all. Like, right. um, I think there's there's just a I don't know, and this same disconnect is true of violence in many forms in America. But like, there's a disconnect between the, the victim we see and the reality of how Absolutely. they got there. Absolutely. And I, I want, I wanted Tracy to be a narrator who is so cold and almost cruel toward her sister that it sort of puts the the reader in a position of wanting to defend Aaron and then maybe th think about and then puts the reader in opposition to the perspective of the state and right. and then to think more seriously about what does a human really need in order to survive right and what happens when they don't get it right there's definitely all the stuff that can happen after, but then I feel like there's also even like a preemptive component maybe like, and maybe this is more where like, I don't know, like how do you think the response of, sorry, that's hit me with a lot of different ideas, but sorry, like, I don't know, this is a funny, it's a funny way to ask a question. Let's come back to my question. Like, oh, well, what are, what are, what are men supposed to do in this situation? Um, nah, but, but, um, but I was rereading the Sam chapter, which I was talking about this morning, and there was like a wild thing. There was a wild part I kind of missed or I didn't see significance in the first time where like at the end, he's having a dream of Sarah and she's like telling mm -hmm. him that she like wants, she has a gun and she's like, I need, I don't know how to use this gun. Like, help me, help me. And then he's like, whoa, I don't know. And then he wakes up like, I guess. What I'm saying is, or one of the characters at the end, sorry, I'm gonna give a few examples and maybe it'll, it'll, it'll coalesce. One of the characters at um, the end, I'm not gonna, oh, go ahead. Your face was frozen, but I don't know if it affects the oh, audio shoot. or not. Okay, I can hear you good. Um, yeah, it's good now. I just wanted to okay, make sure things was lost. Sweet, yeah. Um, there just seemed to be some critique or you know what it, it felt like it felt like there was like somehow today like uh uh in the context of today like a radical idea of like well radical in the context of today but not that radical of like the importance of like i think one of the characters at the end who i won't say who it is in case i want to read it and uh spoil the ending but she was saying like she had like developed some like um I have it written down, but she's like developed some like like desire for like traditional protective like fatherhood because her dad was like just like all woked out and like wouldn't ever fight anybody or something like that. There was some yeah. Am I, am I reading into that too much? I don't, I don't know. Actually I actually remember that. That's funny. That's a good I'm line. Like, I don't remember. Yeah, I'm like lapsing on to it. the most sketch. Yeah, I have it in in my notes. Um. um. She said, uh, oh, she's a sucker for old fashioned male protectiveness, probably because her father is one of those new age feminist guys who would never threaten to shoot a guy for looking at his daughter the wrong way. And even the first line of the book where it's like, whether you like, you know, whether you like it or Marianne's talking, like whether you like it or not, like fatherlessness like shapes you. And I don't know, like if you look at the violence going on and a lot of stuff in our, in our, country right now like I don't know not to get too crazy with it but a lot of the stuff is like some baseline like how we're encouraging men to be men <laughs> like yeah the, you um, know yeah I it's funny. I guess it I can guess be I essentialist think, too which I don't mean to be gender no, essentialist no, I think I think you're asking me an interesting question and I I guess I feel more qualified to talk about sort of the the politics of men in heterosexual relationships than I do like fatherhood because I am not yeah. a dad. Um, <laughs> though sure. I have a dad. So I guess I should. Um uh and I guess 
I guess it's kind of notable that um, Sarah's father never appears in the book. Right. Um, because he was sort of a character I was afraid to touch. Um, that I felt like I could imagine her mother and a, and a life for her mother and a way her mother might move forward with her life. But I, but I could not do the same for Sarah's father. Interesting. So I guess you can make it that what, what you will. Um, and um, I, I, you, I lost track of you were saying, I was you were saying You were just saying, but more, talking more, maybe not specifically about fatherhood, but just like male, men in like heterosexual relationships. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Sam chapter is important and it was important for me um, for two reasons. One was that I was writing, it's the chapter that is most closely, the character I'm writing about is most closely based on a person I actually know and okay. imagining them in a fictional situation, but also um, about the, um, the emotional process of realizing that someone you like and care about and maybe even someone you sort of identify with and think is similar to you has done something unforgivable. Yeah. Um, which really sucks. Um, and it's not an uncommon experience like that. A lot of people have to reckon with that at some point in their life. Um, and refusing to reckon with it is really terrible. That's how people get away with doing horrible shit. Right. Um, so I, so, um, I don't know. I, I had to go back and forth in the Sam chapter and make sure I wasn't being too hard on him. Um, because he's not evil and he's not a predator, but right. he's. Shoot, you're breaking up a little bit. There you are. Great. Sorry. I think that was my computer's fault. That was you? Okay. I, yeah, I don't even know. My computer's, the audio jack doesn't even work on this, so <laughs> I have to do it through my phone. Um, damn, you're on, a, you're, on a, you're on a roll right there. You're, you're, you're ripping something. Um, you were saying Sam wasn't a predator, but he's still, no, I mean. He, he's not a predator. He's just not very brave. And he, he's not ready. And maybe someday he will be to really confront what his friend did. He's not brave because he's not confronting it. Yeah. Um, that he thinks the answer is just to, you know, cut Blake out of his life, move on, whatever. Um, which is not to say that sometimes cutting people out of your life is not a good thing to do, but it's also not necessarily the, the brave way to respond and it doesn't necessarily absolve you of what that person has done. Right. I like that though, because it's encouraging, like encouraging like a type of courage rather than just like a passivity, you know? Yeah. No, uh, I, I absolutely believe in that. I think like it is extremely painful to learn that someone you care about has done something terrible, something violent and I completely understand the urge to to deny it as much as possible, even you know past the point of logic um, rather than accept it. But you also can't do that. Like that's you can't do that. That locks up the whole world. So um, I think acknowledging that it does take courage to 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 truly engage with. Um, some, with violence that is done by someone you care about is important. And um, I had a friend of mine who is in law school. She and some of her friends drew up um, a page of resources about um, restorative justice that's on my, um, on my website. So I'm hoping that maybe people who have been thinking about this, these things as a result of reading the book 
can go there and sort of learn more about how in a like in a practical real world um, way um, those ideas can be put into action. Absolutely. Yeah, you're writing about real shit that impacts real people. I mean, I think I think not even talking about a friend, a close friend who's done something. I think that Sam chapter was just a, a portrait of a guy just trying to like deny the possibility of himself being in, in that category, which is like what yeah. we do. We always put people in a category. But when you think you're completely immune from that possibility, I think is when you're more blind to your own actions. And I think you captured that really well in that chapter. It was also Sam's knife that Blake used, which I didn't realize until I looked at it later. Um, yeah, that was a detail from the real case that I could never find any explanation for. And th there were there are quite a lot of things like that in the book that are just super weird. And I think, and were often pointed out like by people in the workshop is like, this is super weird and you never explain it. What is it? And I was like, it just is. That's just like the detail. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the de that detail. Yeah, and quite a few details yeah. like that. Right. Like um, the fact that the prosecutor to whom the serial killer confessed is the one who accepts the not guilty plea. That actually uh, happened. Um, and I just rather than try to construct a fictional like scaffolding for reality, I was like, I'm, I just gonna have to hope that readers accept like except that that really is how life works um, that's interesting yeah that's very like rebecca godfrey with her stuff um so just to we talked about this briefly but you were at you were in you were at uh undergrad in like 15 or something like 14 but then you I were living in a house okay cool yes. you were living in a house that this happened in a long time ago Kind of. Um, okay. It was sort of like known as like the murder house. Um, and it definitely had kind of haunted vibes, um, which I was really into. And um, I learned from my roommate who learned from her professor that someone had been murdered there. And then we did a little more digging and it turned out that she had not been murdered there, but that her murderer had been found in the house. Um, um, apparently naked and playing the bongo drums, according to rumor. Um, yeah, he was like out of his mind. Um, I think both because of his schizophrenia and um, LSD. I yeah. think it's not a good combination. Not, not a, a good doctor, combination. But not something I recommend. Um, uh, so, and there's very little about the actual murder online and i don't know what's because of time and what's been sort of deliberately scrubbed and whatever but i did find a copy of the school newspaper from when it happened and an essay written by one of her friends about her and i was so struck by how she seemed not just like a girl i would have liked or been friends with but actually a girl i would have lived in that house with yeah um like someone I could have actually been close to um, because I, I lived with like seven other people. Um, yeah. And, um, and like she could have been one of them, it felt to me. And that feeling just really never went away. And um, I, I wanted there to be a great deal of distance between that true case and the novel because I didn't want to fuck up anyone's life. You know, regardless of guilt or innocence, there's still a lot of the players are still around. Right. And I I don't have the right to to mess with them regardless of what I personally think of their guilt or innocence. Um, and, um, but I just, um, that particular feeling about that girl has has not has not left me um yeah and i didn't do a ton of research into that particular crime because partially because it's just too hard there just wasn't that much there and also because um so many college girls are murdered by their boyfriends that there were a lot of crimes i could 
look at in terms of like fleshing out the details of the book. Um, but I did talk to someone who had been her friend um, when she was murdered and I sent her a copy of the book and she, Oh wow. Yeah. And she, she really liked it and she thanked me for writing it and said that it, it helped, had helped her to, to move forward with her, her grief for her friend. And I was like, okay, that's, that's enough. Like, I, that's amazing. I hope people enjoy the book. I hope lots of people read it and like whoever, but if I, the fact that I did that for me is, that's good enough. That's, I think, that's amazing. more than writers generally can hope to actually accomplish. Wow, that's, that's so, that's like the next level of like, I don't know, autofiction considerations of like what's ethical to write about is when you're dealing with an actual yeah. court case. Because I yeah. go through that stuff too, and I think of having to write a letter to the person that I'm writing about. I don't know if that's work though. <laughs> but yeah. um yeah um yeah what do you think it is that causes that i i think uh, just uh, co bo uh, college boyfriends killing girlfriends or whatever oh, shit i don't know um <laughs> i'm coming to you like the oracle after you wrote this book i'm like why do men i don't know um yeah I'm, I really don't know. I, though I think the weirdness of it is something that doesn't get discussed enough. Like if you're a woman in a heterosexual relationship, 90% of the time you're in a relationship with someone who could kill you with their bare hands. Right. That's just the reality. Yeah. And we don't talk about that. Yeah. We just accept it as normal as if there isn't there, this like super fucking weird power imbalance that we then have to navigate like, and um, I don't know, that drives me kind of insane. Um, right, so, not only not talk about it, it's almost, yeah, it's almost, can't, it's almost, you're not supposed to talk about it. Um, yeah, it's weird, it's awkward. Yeah. That's interesting. So then the second part of that would be this, the solution to that. Like maybe say you're, you read that story and then suddenly you're thinking about it all the time. That, I'm sure that influences how you, you whatever you're, you're looking at the world and relationships and stuff. And then in terms of like the reaction to that visceral feeling of that ha happening to somebody who could have been your friend or whatever, I felt like there the book presented two sides to it one was like um whatever i was saying like a type of like more like protective type masculinity or something but then there was also the interesting character was uh christabel it was kind of like the old what would she be a seer like it kind of reminded me of like the spinstress like occult like yeah she's um, definitely after that archetype yeah um, which would be maybe the other options, just cut, cut off completely and, and get full autonomy by just That's hanging out with the spirit. Yeah, full Emily Dickinson. I which, guess. Like, I mean, I personally have been considering. Um, as a <laughs> um, I really don't know. I think. Um, I think a lot has to happen on a structural level that. Um, and it, I think it is dangerous to confuse what can happen on an interpersonal level with what needs to happen on a structural level. Right. Um, but I also don't think that those are like mutually exclusive. I don't know, there are people who are far more qualified to answer this than I am. Um, like, and like part of me wants to give you a really snarky answer and just like, Give yeah, me a snarky answer. <laughs> my snarky answer is, yeah, d just don't kill any women. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but that's real, though. it's obviously not that simple. I mean, it is, but it also isn't. And um, 
I just, I think I would encourage if I, if like I actually could give advice that people would listen to, and I'm not sure that I'm in that position. You are, um, everyone's sitting wrapped right now. They're like, what's the answer? Yeah, I guess it would be for people of all genders and sexualities to talk about violence as frankly as possible and not just in like catchphrases, like not just like, I see you, I hear you, I believe you, right. you know, right. like not just, um, like don't just like tweet about it, like actually talk right. to people, like um, traffic and genuine emotion um, yeah. is like, the thing I'm always trying to get people to do, I suppose. I mean, that's what this book is. That's what this book is. This book is a, you, it's silly for me to ask you that question because that, like, your book is, I don't know, or this book is the investigation of all the different facets of it and it's presenting them for people to think about. Okay, so, think so I don't know, maybe we'll just have, like, just every, every straight dude in America has to join a book group and they read this and they discuss it and then we'll see what happens i think they need to buy the book i think that's the solution um <laughs> so, so for me personally that that sounds like a great solution i don't i don't know right. if we're gonna heal the nation that way but for me it sounds good <laughs> yeah no i don't yeah i i think a lot of i think for me uh, thinking about this stuff is like i think a lot of it does have to do with like unexamined like um, the relationships that are most like family relationships or really close relationships that kind of those are the least ones you're able to look at like whether it's fatherhood stuff or even friend stuff you got into really good friend stuff of like the weird feelings between like Sam and Blake of like kind of competition they both slept with a girl and they're kind of and then even um uh I can't remember who it was one of the characters was saying I think it was the young girl who was writing the letters to um the killer I think yeah. was how she said she would sleep with a boy a older she's like a teenager and she'd sleep with an older boy just so she she or that might have been a different one but just so she could tell her friend that she yeah. did that you know what i mean so yeah. it's almost these and these close friendships that when you're really like and i don't know sometimes i think about like like how like faulkner will do so much like incest stuff and you could say he's just being wild but i feel like the importance of those kind of books are like they make you examine the, your closest relationships that kind of fall, maybe actual siblings that fall into these kind of blind spots of how you operate and they affect how you look at the world. And when something's off, but you can't look at them, then that's when things happen, you know? Or it could just be chemical, which is another explanation that you're looking at, which I've thought of a lot and that doesn't get talked about a lot, where you talk hear about these school shooters and like half of them were just super prescribed on some wild stuff. And I've had experiences experimenting with stimulants and that can lead to a type of rage that doesn't feel like you and you haven't slept for two days and you don't know why you're crying but also angry yeah yeah no been there um <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a lot but um i so so you so you're talking about like the the chemical or the biological elements of violence? Well, at the, I was saying the second element was the fact that, um, you know, Blake was just whacked out on a lot of stuff. And yeah. a lot of, I think some, someone says someone takes too much NyQuil and they're gonna murder their girlfriend. You know, I mean, that's obviously a reduction of it, but I think that is an aspect of it along with what yeah. I was saying before. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a fair amount of research about schizophrenia to write this book, I, in retrospect, I sh actually wish I had done more. Um, uh, the, the research I did into the actual case was that this guy had a history of schizophrenia for which he was being treated and that he had ingested LSD prior to the murder. Um, that was all I knew. Um, and that was what I wanted to stick to. Um, uh, I, did, I didn't want to invent too much else around that. Um, 
I did a little in the chapter that's through the perspective of his sister talking a little about how it start it the schizophrenia started to show yeah. itself in his adolescent years which is typical um uh, I I talked to a lot of professionals about the character of Blake and what whether or not they thought he the sort of the insanity defense was legitimate right. um and I got different answers yeah. from pretty much everyone um which I thought was really interesting. And it would have been very interesting to see what it would have happened had this case gone to trial. Um, I, um, I, th I think had it gone to trial, it would have gotten quite a lot of attention, um, particularly for this reason. Um, uh, because you know, psychosis is very difficult to understand. It, right. um, and it is, very difficult to um, to say whether or not a person is responsible for what they do when when they are psychotic. Right. Um, it it's like one of the sort of earliest, most fundamental questions of you know criminal justice, um, the question of mens rea, um, and. Um, uh yeah i it's um do you think it was legitimate i don't know yeah i i really don't know i think um the thing is whether or not it was legitimate. I don't think that Blake's um, real world counterpart, counterpart would have been served or that the community would have been served by him going to prison. Hmm. Um, I am strongly against prison. Yeah. Um, and I think all it could have done would have you know, allowed him to emerge however many years later, more violent, less stable. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I think there's a, a kind of void that is created when someone takes a life and does not give anything back. Right. And so to me that, um, that really creates the necessity for a, for a justice system that, um, that acknowledges that. Speaking of prison cops. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear the siren, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. All right, well, I feel like I've just talked you into a, yeah, so you're working on a, a thing about Santa Cruz now? Yeah. Um, so I, I can be a uh, reporter. Hmm? <laughs> I can be a a, a, a local. Are you in Santa Cruz knows. now? No, I'm not. I'm in Harlem, but I went oh. to middle and high school in Santa Cruz. So. Oh, yeah? yeah. Um, I went to summer camp in Santa Cruz. Wait, what's some, where, what? Kenilman? Dude, I was a fucking counselor there. I, was I got kicked there. out. You got kicked out? Yeah, I was too sad. I was like upsetting the other campers. You went to the camp that I was a counselor at for two summers after my freshman and sophomore year of college. That's, That's so funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, we would have been there at different times because I was 13 when I went there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but yeah. That's no. so funny. No, it was not a good fit for me. Um, Wait, why did you get kicked out? You're, you're I was too people? sad. You were too sad? Yeah, once you get on that pony or you do a little uh, bow and arrow, you know, it's got to be all smiles all around. Yeah, they're like, they're like, they just like, didn't, I think I was like ruining it for the other children. Like, oh my not. God, that's so funny. Um, but, so, so I 
grew up in Palo Alto and so we went to Santa Cruz you know every once in a while and it was always just like yeah. such a magical place yeah. to visit um and there's all those great bookstores there and yeah um and uh I never liked rides but the boardwalk is still fun and it was just yeah. like it was, it was always a treat to go to Santa Cruz like it was like a, a fun thing to do on the weekend absolutely um, uh for my whole life and then when I like stumbled into this like um sort of true crime fun fact um it, it became sort of the new thing I couldn't stop thinking about and it took quite a while actually I started thinking about this in 2015 it took a oh. long time until I could figure out how to write about it um what was it that happened again you said it before but I can't remember um there's just like a weird time in the early 70s where there are three different active serial killers um wild yeah and at the same time across like across the bay there's zodiac right um huh so and probably because of zodiac the the santa cruz serial killers aren't as well known um and then like copycat killers or was it just kind of a random side thing super random they Wild. didn't know each other. They had totally different MOs. Um, uh, I don't know if you've seen the show Mindhunter. I watched one episode of it. Okay, so the serial killer they interview, Edmund Kemper, mm. he's, the, he's the main, he's the- Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so part of the book is through his perspective, which is, um, it's a lot more fun once I realize I don't have to get it correct. Cause I'm like, who's gonna right. like who's gonna correct me? Who's gonna be like, no, right, that's right. not what he's like. I was there. I was in the yeah. So you're working on it now? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, not as rapidly as I would like to, and it's taking more of an an emotional toll than I expected it to, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, uh. I, yeah, um, the thing is, I think now that I've started writing about murder and violence, I don't know when I'm going to be able to stop because I, it's just very hard to find other things interesting. Like, what am I mean, I it's sort of the biggest question. It's sort of the, it's sort of the biggest, I don't know. That's like pretty much, I feel like what Bolaño circled around his whole, all his, for all his books. Yeah, which is um, why because, I, yeah. I find it really odd and kind of insulting when people talk about true crime as like a women's hobby. It's like, this is the most fundamental shit. This it's is the most fundamental, like baseline, whatever you want to call it, evil. It's life or, and death. And like, yeah. um, even like the idea of like mystery fiction being a genre for women. It's like, what do you, what do you think Dostoevsky was writing about? Right. Right. Um, so anyway, um, detective tropes all throughout some of the most, whatever. I don't I don't even care about high, low stuff. So you don't, yeah, need, you don't need to convince me. Neither. Me Though um, a fun f fact about detectives is that the term was invented by Edgar Allan Poe and it was, so it was a fictional term before it was an actual profession. Wild. The, the yeah. art preceded the light. It did did sometimes i guess sometimes it can do that yeah um that's wild. i could see some weird stuff happening in santa cruz because I, I i lived in sacramento for fifth and sixth grade and we actually would come down to santa cruz over the summers mm -hmm. and we'd play them in like soccer and stuff and then when i moved there once you wander around a little bit there's some you know some seedy pockets there's some just some you know like are you getting up into the hills and i don't know how much ben loman yeah. and stuff like that all kinds of kooky stuff happens up there um, kind of like it's almost like becomes like I don't know like the true detective bayou or something there's like weird spots <laughs> I think there was actually a ambush up there of some cops that kind of got flushed under the the wave of news stories last mm -hmm. month but they these cops got called and it was an ambush with explosives and stuff but I know exactly where it was because it was the Santa Cruz Police Department talking about it and it was like Ben Lomond down a down a side alley, but um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe proximity to water, the weather, 
whenever there's like tourist stuff, there's always like a, a side. Well, there there's was like an underbelly. The, there was a pretty big drifter population, um, right. given the weather and the 70s and um, plus, uh, which I think might have contributed to one of the murderers. But honestly, it's just fucking weird. Wow. Like there's really no, yeah. The inexplicable. Yep. You're writing about the inexplicable. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, sweet. Well, yeah, I highly recommend this book. I hope I said coherent things about it. I got all the main points off. Dogs, I asked you the main questions about what the solutions are. <laughs> I don't know if we got any, but hey. Um, yeah, are you going to do any stuff for like, it's a, such a wild time to release a book. I don't even know. Maybe in the spring, do some reading. I guess so. I'll do whatever they want me to do, pretty much. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and, and you have a book coming out with Tyrant, right? Or looking like it. It's looking like it. Yeah. Okay, that's Not, awesome. Things aren't they, down yet, but. They publish really great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I did yeah. their workshop in Italy last year. Oh, no way with Chelsea. Amazing. It was so great. It was so wonderful. So you know Gian pretty well. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow, that's what's up, that's what's up. Um, small world. Small world, sweet. All right, well, I'll let you go. Um, yeah, I appreciate you being down to talk about stuff. I'll probably just get it up later this week if that's okay. Okay. And uh, you want me to send you, I can send you a draft of it too, of, of the um, text I'm gonna put next to it too, if you want. Perfect. Awesome. All right, great to talk to you. All right, appreciate it. Bye.